Thank you, Kim. Thank you, team. Hey, the Lord just laid this on my heart this morning. I want to just read it over us. Um, this is uh, coming from 2 Corinthians, which is a book that is written right in the moment where we're reading from in Paul's third journey here. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Lord, just lay that on my heart this morning. Listen, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's what it feels like lately, right? We're, we're eking our way through in ways um, in this season. But God is good, just as our team reminded us this morning. And uh, we have to put our faith uh, ahead of our fear. And that's just the thing the Lord has laid on my heart this week and even this morning. God, help us to push our faith ahead of our fear, ahead of our feelings, uh, and trust you. And trust you. Well, good morning. So glad you're with us if you're new to us. Thanks for being here. If some of you are back that hadn't, we hadn't seen in a while, and it's good to see you. If you're joining us either on campus or online, we're so glad you're here with us, gathered with us any way that you can and feel comfortable doing so. Uh, we've worked really hard to keep a, a, a clean campus, and uh, we're distancing, and we're wearing masks in, inside and out, and so it's, uh, we're doing our best in that. We're just trusting the Lord with us and continuing to be the body of Christ that he's called us to be, and that's all we can do, right? So we have been in a series called Acts, the Story of the Church, and we've really in the last little while been focused on chapter 19, which has really been centered around the city of Ephesus. And God has done so much in this city. People have been saved. Uh, Paul starts an institute of mission. Uh, people are being sent out on mission. They're starting church communities all around Asia and all over. Um, we're seeing people literally... Uh, exercise from demons. Demons are coming out of people. Uh, people are confessing their sin, burning their idols. It's an amazing moment in the city of Ephesus. The culture of Ephesus is changing from an evil culture to that's being disrupted. Now God's doing something in the middle of that culture. We talked about last week that Paul, after he sees kind of what God's been doing and all the excitement of, of the ministry that's taking place, he's ready to move on and go to the next place, start the next fire, if you will. But before he can get out of town, a mob comes, and uh, they're not happy with Paul because he's been preaching the gospel, and it's that gospel that has caused this disruption in Ephesus. And so they are angry, and they take two of Paul's guys, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they rush them, drag them, literally it says, into the theater. Who knows what their plans were, maybe to kill them. Uh, it, you know, it reads kind of gentle in Acts, but today we're going to show you uh, that it wasn't necessarily that gentle. There was a lot of fear for their lives. Um, they thought they were dead men, Paul says. And so this, this takes place, and, and out of nowhere, a city clerk comes and calms the crowd we talked about last week. And God uses this city clerk to bring peace and gives Paul and his team sort of a close call, but 
they get away with their lives. And so it's in this moment of pause, if you will, that uh, Paul is ready to go back to those plans that he had. He ultimately wants to get to Rome and into Spain, but he knows he, he has a heart to give an offering to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, brothers and sisters there, were poor. And they had gone through a, a terrible famine. They had gone through lots of persecution. And it was Paul's heart to bless them, to encourage the church in Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem is way down here, right? And, but he's going to go this way to uh, Achaia and Macedonia, all through Greece, uh, Galatia, and collect these offerings so that he can take this money down to Jerusalem and be a blessing. And that shows us the missional, loving, caring heart of Paul, that he would go so far out of his way to try and bless the, the kind of the mother church, if you will, in Jerusalem. Uh, so there's a little bit of a moment of pause after this mob mentality moment, and Paul goes, let's get back to the, to the travel plans, how about, you know? And he, he gathers the disciples to tell them goodbye, and uh, he's getting back in his uh, planning with a bit more haste this time, right? So look with me, if you will, in the Word of God this morning. We're going to study in uh, the 20th chapter of Acts verses 1 through 6. It says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said, Farewell, and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. A Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, uh, accompanied him and the Thessalonians, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, uh, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and, and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Will you pray with me this morning as we? Try and dig some of this out this morning in this text. Father, Lord, how good you are to us. That even in moments of pressing, in moments that feel crushing, in moments that feel devastating and weary, God, you are with us. And your life lives through us and gives us hope and encouragement, even this morning. So, Lord, my prayer is that you would encourage us by your word and one another. God, whether it's here in our service together, whether it's at home, help us to be intentional, to not be full of fear, but to be full of faith. Lord, we need each other, and I pray that we're being intentional to reach out, to connect, to encourage, equip, love, and care for one another the way that your word calls the body of Christ to. God, I pray that you would, uh, by your powerful Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to all truth today in this message. God, that I would stay out of your way, that, that you would increase in this time, Lord Jesus, that I would decrease, that you would give us the courage to be obedient to whatever it is you call us to, and that we would learn more of you and of ourselves, and that you would change us, God, to be more like you as a result of being in your beautiful word. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this family. Continue to be with us and lead us and direct us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, when you read the uh, text this morning, chapter 20, verse 1 through 6, you might look at it, if, if you're reading through Acts and just kind of go, huh, you know. 
It's one of those sections that you kind of just go, eh. You know, it doesn't have the, the excitement, the, the electricity of a mob dragging people to the theater. What's going to happen? It doesn't quite have all of that. It has some of that. But uh, you might just read this and go, wow. I think that's, sometimes we're guilty of that, aren't we? In the Bible, we just kind of read through and go, okay, I've read that. And yeah. But I want us to look a little deeper. And that's one of the things I love about our church that we teach expositionally through the Bible, verse by verse as, as we can, because we don't want to miss a thing that God has for us, right? And so one of the things I, 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 you can't deny about this text of Scripture is it's about encouragement. So much of it is about being encouraged and encouraging people. And we're going to see that today. It's an overwhelming theme of encouragement. Paul was an encourager, no question about it. It was his heart to be an encourager. Yes, he speaks truth. Yes, he's bold, ready to rush into the theater. But it's his heart to be an encouragement, and it should be our heart to encourage each other as well. How was Paul an encourager? Let's take a look. First thing, I've already mentioned it, right? Paul had a heart to do what for the Jerusalem church? What do you want to give them? An offering, right? And so he was going to go through Achaia and Macedonia and Galatia, gathering offerings. In fact, he's already sent uh, Timothy uh, and, and another brother, they've gone to get ready for this offering. He's going to gather offerings. And he said in Corinthians, he said, you know, the, the Jewish uh, Christians, the brothers and sisters, spiritual blessings, like it, these brothers and sisters to do, can do is to give material blessings to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So that's what this offering is for. And so he, he sent them on. He's ready to do this. Paul wants to encourage the Jerusalem church. Have you ever had a, a, just an incredible need? Maybe you prayed about it and you didn't want to tell a bunch of people, but all of a sudden God just shows up with something. You ever experienced that? I bet a lot of you have. I know we have. I couldn't count them. I couldn't count the times. We've had a need. We've had a fear. We've had a concern. Bam, God goes, I love you. And you just go, I know you do. It's obvious that you do, Lord. Listen, Paul has a heart for this church in Jerusalem. And so he's going to go out of his way. It's not always easy to be a blessing. It's not always the easiest trip. It's not always the cheapest thing to do to bless people. Paul's going to go for months and months and months out of his way to get this offering to be a blessing to Jerusalem. Listen, Paul probably doesn't need to go to Jerusalem. People want to kill Paul in Jerusalem. Paul knows that. I think that's one of the reasons he says in, in the Corinthians chapter in, in 16, he says, I'll go with those guys if I need to, <laughs> right? He's kind of like, I'll go if I have to, um, but there's people that don't want to kill me, right? But he wants to be an encouragement to the Jerusalem church. So he, he, he's going to gather this offering so he can go and bless the believers in Jer Jerusalem. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Uh, Paul wants to encourage the church that has formed in Ephesus, all that God has done in the city. We just talked about it. All that God has done in believers' lives and church planning and all these different discipleship. Look what it says in our text, the first verse. It says, after the uproar ceased, after this big mob has calmed down and gone away, Paul sends for the disciples. Not, not the disciples of Jesus, his disciples, right? They're also disciples of Jesus, but these are the people that Paul has seen come to Christ and has discipled himself in the hall of Tyrannus and other places. These are the people that have been following Paul. 
And he says, gather the, this, the church, basically, right? Gather the church. Get them together. We got to tell them bye. We're, we're, we're out. <laughs> After that just happened, we got some plans. God has told us we have to move on. We need to go. So gather the disciples. Get them together. What does he do with them? Look what it says. And after what? Encouraging them. Paul says basically to this group of people, do you see what's been going on here for three years? God is blessing the church. God is creating the church. God is calling people from sinful darkness and evil life to life in Christ in the light. It's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus at work in the lives of people. Paul says it's been going on here. You've seen miracles. You've seen the spirit move. You've seen the power and presence of our great God in Ephesus. You've seen it. It's amazing. And Paul's saying, that's not going to stop because I'm moving on. Right? It's not my power. It's not my presence. It's God's presence through me. And so Paul is saying that to the church at Ephesus. You can imagine some of them are going, now what are we going to do, right? Paul's leaving after three years. You would have found some... Um, assurance and safety in Paul being around, but Paul has trained leaders. If there's one thing about Paul, that dude knows how to train leaders. He knows how to disciple people and prepare people for the next task. And so he's got leaders set up, and he's got house churches, and he's got people ready to continue the ministry of Jesus in Ephesus. But he calls them together not to train anymore, but to encourage. Say, hey, look what God has done. Not because of me, but because of his goodness. He's going to continue to do that here in this city, right? So Paul's encouraged the Jerusalem church. He's encouraged the believers in Ephesus as he departs from Macedonia. And then I want you to see, he, he's, I'm sure he's speaking these encouraging things to them that look a little bit like what he says to them later on when he writes to this church, right? We have a letter to this church later on, the, the letter of, to the Ephesians. Look what he says. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. This is Paul writing from prison. He says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These are the kind of things Paul is saying on that day. Be unified. Be humble. Be gentle. Have patience. Bear with one another. Be the body of Christ. And he's encouraging them at that moment and then later on even as he writes to them. So the Jerusalem church he's encouraged. The believers in Ephesus he's encouraged. He now wants to encourage the churches that he's already planted. Look what it says, Acts 20 verse 2 in our text. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. When he had gone through those regions, all those regions, Achaia, Macedonia, that's all Greece in essence, but he had given them much what? Encouragement. These are, these are, these are places that, that Paul has established, the church in Corinth, um, the church of Berea, Thessalonica, all these places that, that we've studied, especially on Paul's second missionary journey, he's established these places. So he's going back through and he's doing what Paul does. Remember, we've talked about the Pauline cycle before. Paul's cycle, Paul's set of uh, training, if you will, when, wherever he goes is this. He preaches the word of God and people get saved. 
right? It's beautiful. It's amazing. They respond to the gospel. But it's not just enough for us to go, yeah, I want to be saved, is it? No, we want to be disciples of Jesus. That means lifelong learners. We continue to go deeper in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus and the Bible. So Paul wants to establish believers, not just see them come to Christ, but establish believers. Jesus put it this way in the Great Commission, teach them uh, to obey, observe all the things that I've commanded you. That's what it means to be a disciple, to live in discipleship. So Paul has preached the word, people have gotten, gotten saved. Now uh, communities of believers are being established in their faith, in discipleship. And then leaders are emerging. And then he's training those leaders to become elders. And those elders to be church leaders, and now there's a church community. And then he trains them in mission and says, now elders, go preach, establish communities, disciple people, and then go on mission. It's a circle. It's very cyclical. It just keeps spinning. Part of that cycle is encouragement. Paul keeps showing up in all these cities where he's planted churches and going, you guys are doing great. You're doing it. Yeah, there's moments where he goes, that's off. Don't do that. That's not good. Stay away from that. But Paul is an encourager, and so he's going back through these cities that he's planted these churches. He's established these communities of faith, and he's going, go for it. Have you ever had anybody do that in your life? Where you're just, man, you're just barely eking through. And somebody pats you on the back and goes, man, I'm so proud of you. You stand up a little straighter, don't you? <laughs> okay, I can do it. I can do it. That's what Paul is doing. He's an encourager. He's Encourage the church in Jerusalem, the believers in Ephesus, the churches he's planted throughout this region. And, uh, and now he's going to encourage the church at Corinth. Again, another place that he's established. It's in this season, I mentioned this in the beginning of our service, that Paul writes the book of 2 Corinthians. So when I, I told you this before, the thing I like about Acts is it's this macro view of what Paul's ministry is, where he's going, what he's doing, what God's doing through him, establishing the church but then we have his letters as a micro view into what's happening into all those churches. And we get to see the overlap of Paul's work. It's beautiful the way the Lord has designed that. So now Paul wants to encourage the church in Corinth and he writes the, the letter to them, uh, 2 Corinthians, which is actually the fourth letter. I don't have time to go into that right now, but two letters were actually lost um, that we don't have in antiquity. So, but he writes this letter, the second uh, the letter to 2 Corinthians, and he wants them to know, listen, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of what you're walking through and difficulty you're walking through, God will deliver you because he's delivered us. And that's good to know, isn't it? At times to be reminded of that. Look, at, look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul just wants to remind them here. It says, and he's speaking of their time in Ephesus here, okay? Just keep that in your mind. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that you share in our sufferings. You will share uh, in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. That's the Ephesus uh, thing that we just talked about. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will 
and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So we get the little micro uh, view here of how difficult that moment was. When we read the story of the mob mentality in, in Ephesus, in Acts, we kind of go, well, that's not a lot of detail, but they made it. Paul says here in this, in this letter to the Corinthians, we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? So fearful, so depressed, so concerned, so weary that you almost don't even want to live. Paul has. Paul was fearful. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought we were dead men. You know what happens in the theater? Death. That's where they kill people. Paul thought, we, this, here we go. But that's not what happened. God delivers them. And so Paul wants to encourage the Corinthians in this letter to encourage each other, to be encouraged in the truth that God always delivers we, we read in our, in our text, and we're going to get into it a little deeper in a minute. We read all these names of these guys. I want you to know, we're going to talk about them in a minute, but I just want to make this statement about encouraging. Don't you know on that trip, Paul spoke into their lives? Don't you know Paul used that opportunity to teach them, to grow them, to encourage them in their faith and in their leadership? I, I know he does because we see them uh, continually in ministry for years to come. Uh, so... Look at all this encouragement. The Jerusalem church, the Ephesians church, uh, the church, the churches that he's established, the Corinthian church, the guys traveling with him. He even wants to be an encouragement to where he's going. He's going to go to Jerusalem, but then he's going to go where? To Rome and ultimately to Spain. He wants to be an encouragement over there as well. And it's during this time, Paul takes three months in Greece, and it's during this time that Paul writes his gospel masterpiece. The letter to the Romans. With a heart to see Rome and, and the Roman believers, he writes this masterpiece in this season. And look what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, because that's what Paul does. It's part of the Pauline cycle. He wants to strengthen believers. Look what he says in verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is an encourager. He wants to go to Rome to encourage their faith, and for his faith even to be encouraged. Encouragement is a huge part of Paul's ministry. There's no way to look at what he's done and, and how God has used him and not see that Paul is an encourager. But he's not just an encourager. Some people don't like his encouragement. Some people don't like Paul, and so Paul is an enemy of some. Paul's an enemy of, of the Jews, typically where he goes for the most part. Uh, look with me in the third verse of our text, Acts 20. It says, there he spent, speaking of Greece, there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Isn't it just like the enemy when things are going pretty well? that here comes a plot of the enemy to discourage, to kill, to destroy, to disrupt. It's just like God in the middle of something that's going good, right? He's written Romans. He's written 2 Corinthians. He's left on a good note, a scary note in Ephesus, but he's, he's, he's in a good season. And here comes another plot against 
Paul. So Paul had made this journey before from uh, Centrea, which was the port that he would leave in to get down to Syria. He'd made this journey before, and he was about to do it again. He gets ready to get on that boat. He's going to go to Jerusalem because that's where he's going to take these offerings. But he learns of this plot. One commentarian said, most likely the Jews that didn't like Paul from Achaia and Macedonia had gathered, and they came up with a plan to throw Paul overboard on that trip. Paul said, I think I'll walk, right? I think I'll go another direction. I think I'll change plans. And, and rightly so, I think you would do the same. So Paul takes a different route. Instead of taking this boat down to Syria, he's going to go back through around the GNC to all these places that he's started churches, and he's gonna, uh, God's going to use all that to continue to encourage and strengthen the believers that he started. So Paul is an encourager. He's an enemy of the Jews, but he's also an equipper. We can't deny, I love, I love this passage because of this section right here. Let me show you what it says in Acts 20, uh, verses 4 through 6. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius uh, of Derby and Timothy. And the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Here, Luke mentions seven names. In my mind, they're younger guys. In my mind, this is a missionary residency, fraternity, if you will. Come on in, boys, right? Where, who are these guys? Where did they come from? Well, you might remember that we talked about this maybe last week or the week before. Paul had mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16 that the churches should send a representative for those offerings. Look with me here. 1 Corinthians 16, 3 and 4. Paul says, when I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, because I'm not that welcome in Jerusalem, uh, they will accompany me, right? This is who they are. These are the representatives of these churches, all of these different guys. Also, I want you to notice a little side note here. Do you notice that Luke is now writing in the first person and not the third person? Luke's back in the picture. Luke's back on the boat. He's back on the journey when he says uh, they went ahead and they're waiting for us. But we sailed, right? So Luke is now on this journey. He's not just writing from somebody else's third person perspective, Luke is on the journey with Paul, writing from his own experience, okay? So who are these guys? Let's take a little closer look and go a little deeper. Sopater, from Berea, Aristarchus, Thessalonica, Secundus, Thessalonica, Gaius, Derby, Timothy, Derby, Tychicus, Asia, most likely Ephesus, Trophimus, Asia, most likely Ephesus. Do you notice that each of these guys, are, they're coming from church plants, that Paul has started. You see that? And what's cool, if you go a little deeper, is they, they represent all three of the, church, of the church planting journeys that Paul has been on. Uh, let's see here, Gaius and Timothy, Derby, that's his first missionary journey. And then we got Sopater, Aristarchus, and Secundus, that's the second missionary journey. And then we've got Tychicus uh, and Trophimus from Ephesus, his third missionary journey. Don't you know Paul's like a proud papa, 
sitting back watching these guys mess around, get to know each other, become friends. And Paul's thinking of stories. He's thinking of their parents. He's thinking of, oh, yeah, that time that they left me for dead, right outside that guy's house. He was 12. Paul's thinking of these individuals, these relationships connected to years and years of these missionary journeys where he's trying to make Jesus known. And what he's looking at in these young men is the fruit of that ministry and the future of the church. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Paul gets to sit back and go, this is not what I've done, God. This is what you've done. And Paul knows, I've asked these churches to send somebody to accompany me with these offerings, but they're not just going to accompany me for the offerings. They're security, their companionship, but more than that, Paul's going, their residence in the mission residency. In other words, I'm going to teach these guys what it means to follow Christ. And you don't follow Christ without being sent. Every person that knows Jesus as their Savior has been sent to make him known. And so this is their training. What does it mean for you guys now to not only take this money to, to uh, Jerusalem with me, but to be sent on mission? So Paul, he's used to modeling his life, right? He's used to teaching. He's used to discipling. It's just who he is and what he does. In fact, he tells the church in Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow my life. Look at me. Watch what I do. Watch how I live. Watch what I do where I go. What's interesting is that also includes watch how I'm persecuted. I don't know what that means. Watch how I cover my head when we get stoned. I don't know. Watch how I ball up in a ball. I don't know. Well, maybe gives best practices on how to get beat up. I don't know. But he's training these guys not only in a life in Christ, but in persecution as well. And they're going to face it. The story we talked about last week in the mob are two of these young men, Gaius and Aristarchus, dragged violently to the theater to be killed. They've experienced what Paul has experienced. And what's amazing is most of these guys don't just stop their ministry or mission as a result of taking the offering to Jerusalem. Most of these men, maybe all of them, we only hear of, of, of five of them further in Scripture, but maybe all seven continue to serve the Lord. I want to I show you what, they, what the Bible shows us about these men. Uh, Paul calls Aristarchus in Colossians 4.10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So now Aristarchus is next to Paul, suffering in a prison. He's still with him. He's still serving. Still on mission for the Lord. Uh, Gaius, remember, he was one of the ones dragged into the theater. He's referenced in Romans 16 and in 3 John. 16, Romans 16, 23 says, Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church, greets you. You might remember that Paul said he, he baptized Gaius. And now he's got a home, so he's pastoring. Gaius is a pastor in Corinth. And he's got a home church that he's pastoring and leading, and Paul, stay with me. Then a little bit later, maybe, I don't know how many years later this is, but John writes uh, to a character by the name of Gaius. I believe it's the same one. Third John, verses one through three. The elder to the beloved 
Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. I believe he says this because they're both old, older. As it goes well with your soul, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. This is a long journey of faith. This is an, an ongoing consistency of mission, of relationship with Jesus and making him known. What about Timothy? Probably the most, um, how do I put it, most trusted son in the faith for Paul. That's what he called him at one point. Timothy had been with him from the first missionary journey. We know that Timothy, uh, he, he writes at least two letters to Timothy, uh, first and second Timothy. Timothy is the bishop, if you will, overseeing the churches over Ephesus. He's got a lot of responsibility. Ultimately, Christian tradition tells us that Timothy tries to calm down a pagan mob and they take his life, they murder Timothy. But he gave his whole life to serve the Lord. Tychicus, Ephesians, he, when he writes this letter to the Ephesians, look what he says about Tychicus, who's originally from Ephesus. He says, so that you may also know how I'm doing and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. These guys are, are moving on with their faith and their ministry and their mission. They're not just in it for a trip to Jerusalem. They're in it for the long haul. Trophimus, also from Ephesus, Paul refers to in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, where he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Remember those two? And the household of Onesiphorus. That's a tough one. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. In other words, he's been serving with me all the way that he could, as far as he could. Paul had discipled these men. He had equipped these men in ministry and in mission, and they had served faithfully in persecution, in illness, in pastoring, in mission. They continued to be a blessing to Paul. So I kind of like to look at this verse like this is Paul's mission residency school. They might not have known that they were in that, <laughs> but they knew when they got together and Paul said, all right, God's going to use you guys. Can I tell you something? We got one of those too. You're sitting in it. What? I didn't sign up for that, right? No, you're sitting in it. You're sitting in mission residency school where hopefully we're becoming the followers of Jesus that know him, love him, and have a heart to make him known. Wherever we go, whatever he puts on our hearts. See, I don't know where God's gonna send you. I don't know. I wanna be faithful to equip you. I wanna be faithful to pray for you. I wanna be faithful to pray that God would move in our church in such a way that he would be so kind as to use us for his glory, whatever that means. But that you would be obedient to say, Oh, that's where you want me to go. Oh, that's who you want me to talk to. Oh, that's, God, that's what you would have me do. And that all of us, just as these men, live long lives of faithful obedience to Jesus. Amen? That is our prayer. So Paul, he's an encourager. He, we've seen it time and time again to all these churches, everywhere he goes, he's encouraging the church. He's encouraging believers. We need encouragement too, don't we? Maybe now, more than ever. You know, 
I know that the majority of our church are watching online at home, and we're praying for them, and we're praying that as you feel comfortable, you can come back and be with us here on campus, but I just got to say, for those that are, that are here, I can't see them. I can see a camera, but I can see you. You're an encouragement to me. You're an encouragement to me. When I see you, I see brothers and sisters of mine who are pushing faith ahead of fear, who are saying, yeah, we, we want to we be in, in, intentional about relationships, intentional about learning and growing and being in this mission residency. We want to be all that God wants us to be. I know our, our, our church and many of, of those that are watching online are doing the same. I'm not, this, I'm not saying that against anyone. But being able to see you is an encouragement to me, so I appreciate you being here. We need to lift each other up. We need to encourage one another. In fact, that's part of the role of the believer. Galatians, Paul writes, six, chapter 6, verses 2, and then I want to also mention verse 10. Look what he says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? I don't think they'll mind me sharing this. Brother Jerry and Miss Sue called me months ago when their son passed away. And they told me that. And I can tell you my heart was broken. I was devastated for them. I didn't know Jay that well. I was burdened for them, right? I was hurting for them, and I wept for them. That's what it means. It means you feel things at the core of who you are because you love people, and you hurt with them. And then yesterday, I got a text from Heidi. And she says, we've been praying as a church. We've been praying as a city group. And I just wanted to let you know, we've been praying, and my sister just got saved. And I rejoiced with Heidi, because I love her. And I, and, I, and I know that she loves her sister and her family, and she wanted her to, to know Jesus. And in his goodness, he allowed such a thing. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with one another. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Friends, we've got to be intentional to encourage one another, to equip one another as well, just as Paul did. He was an encourager and he was an equipper. We've got to go deeper in our relationships with Jesus and be intentional. Do you know who I will be without accountability in my life? Not a good person. Do you know who I will be without people questioning me and, and walking life with me, somebody who is steeped in addiction and defeat, that's who I am, apart from the grace of Jesus through his people. That's why we have to be intentional in our groups, intentional in our relationships to encourage one another. How you doing? Hang in there. I love you. I'm praying for you. Strengthening one another doing good as we can. So as I close, I just want to mention a couple of things here. What does it mean to be an encourager? What does it take to be an encourager? I was kind of asking myself this yesterday. What, what does that mean? 
for you to leave here this morning and go, okay, we're going to leave here to be encouragers. What does it mean? This is what it means. It means that you consider others, not just yourself. How often are we just inundated with us? Our minds are filled with me, what I want, what I'm dreaming about, what happened wrongly to me, what I got to get done today. Every one of you are thinking about all this stuff that revolves around you, and I am too. And we got to push that down and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about other people, and I pray that you'll give me the, the, the words to say and the grace to mention to somebody that, that you love them. Help me, Lord. Be an encouragement. Get my mind off myself and serving other people. I think to be an encourager, you have to have faith. To be content to know that God is with you, that God is for you, and he's for others. And he wants to use you for others. I couldn't help but think about a, a cup that's overflowing. When your cup in Jesus is overflowing, it can't help but overflow to other people. Right? He is the only one who satisfies our souls. The only one. Is your cup overflowing? Are you allowing it to overflow to other people? to bless other people? Do you have a desire to be a blessing to other people, to encourage other people? When you leave here today, you go to lunch or you go home or you meet other people around the city today, be sensitive in your soul and your heart to the needs of other people. Be intentional to see that there are people who are hurting. You know, the different times I've seen people who are just struggling, you can just tell. Uh, there's different, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking of multiple stories right now People at restaurants, even a restaurant manager I'm thinking of on my heart right now, I won't tell you the restaurant, just clearly struggling, barely making it through the day. And we got our food, and I remember kind of going up and just going, hey, I just want you to know I appreciate you. And I can tell something's, something's going on. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And if you want me, I'll, I'll pray for you right now. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. It doesn't take that much to see people are hurting. To see people are struggling, barely making it. And God may want to use your heart in that moment to say, hey, what can I do for you? Not me. Lord, make us selfless. You know, I, I believe Paul was able to look at those young men on that journey and see the fruit of his ministry, see these lives that had been changed all in all those churches, and these guys represent the leadership that are now beginning to take over and, and go. There's nothing like, I, I gotta tell you, there's nothing like looking back over your ministry. I got 30 years, Brother Jerry probably has, I don't know how many, what do you got, about 95 or so? <laughs> I love him, he knows I'm messing with him. What do you have, 35? 60, yeah, I knew, I knew it was 60. But I look back over 30 years of ministry and I think about my missionary journeys, the churches that I've served in, and I think about young men that I've discipled and people who've gone on mission and, and people who are serving as youth pastors and pastors and my heart, I, there's nothing like it. Look at him smile. We, you're thinking of people, your heart is so full. Oh, you're so proud of those folks that chose to serve the Lord. It didn't have anything to do with me, but God allowed me to be there in that moment. Paul's looking at these guys with that joy. Let me ask you this. Do you have that kind of joy? When, can you look at your children and go, disciples for Jesus. They love him. They know him. They serve him. Can you look at people you've given the gospel to who know Christ and now serve him? 
serving him? Can you look at people in ministry and go, that's God's grace. That's what Paul was able to do. It was an incredible thing. It's one of the most beautiful things I get to do is look back over my life and see the fruit of what God has done. We need to encourage and equip one another. It's what we're called to be and to do as the body of Christ. I, I want to close with this. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. That's, that's how I remember it, right? 2 Timothy, 2nd chapter, 2nd verse. Now maybe you'll remember it. Great verse about what it means to be uh, to, for multiplication of the gospel. Look what Paul says to Timothy. He says, and what you've heard from me in front of many witnesses, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is now saying this to Timothy. You've heard me say it in, in the presence of others. Now you say it to others so that they may say it to others. Right? It's this multiplication of the story, of the beautiful love story of Jesus. We're called to encourage one another, to tell one another. Listen, as we close, can I just ask you this question? Are you in a place this morning that you need some encouragement? Honestly. Do you need to be encouraged today? You struggling? We don't always do this. But uh, I'd like for you, if you're struggling today and, and, and you need some encouragement, I'd love for you to come up here. I'd love for us to pray for you. So it, it, we're family. And if part of our family is going, yeah, I am weary, I'm struggling, we want to pray for you. So if, if that's you today, I want you to come up here in just a minute when we begin, we begin to sing. And we're just going to pray for you, okay? You might just go, hey, I'm just not kind of weary. We're just going to, we'll stay distanced, we'll stay safe, and we'll just pray over you. But if that's you this morning, I want you to know it's part of our job as the body of Christ to encourage you, to pray for you, to lift you up. And then I also want to ask this this morning as, as we prepare to leave. Would you pray this prayer that God would make you sensitive to people? That God would turn your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? That he would help you to, to, to recognize weariness in the souls of people so that you can be conduit of his grace, of his kindness, of his love, an agent, Paul says, of reconciliation to God, that God would use you to show them that they're loved. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song this morning. And as we sing, you just say, yeah, I could use some encouragement. Just come on up. We're going to pray for you, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are the greatest of encouragers. That we are pressed, but we're not crushed. We're bruised, but we're not broken, Lord. Father, so in this crazy moment of life, would you encourage us? Would you remind us, Father, that we stand in you? That our hope is in you? That we love you, we trust you, Above what we see here, God, we, we trust and love you. And we pray that you would encourage our souls today. God, that you would encourage us by your word and that you would help us to be agents of encouragement to people. If there's any person in this room today, Lord, that needs to just say, I, I need my family to pray for me, I pray that they would come forward and just receive this prayer, Lord.
as we seek you for all that we need. You're the one that fills our souls and satisfies us, Lord. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this time together. May we worship you now in spirit and truth and surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and let's worship together.